0: Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair. Israel news talk radio.com let's get the romper room moment out of the way and celebrate those who are sharing sharing this hour with me uh, listening in we have uh, we have people listening in from the US and Canada you know Canada don't ever disappoint or becoming you know I'm counting on you Boquetover it's Israel this morning we have both Trinidad and Tobago haven't seen that in a while. And good afternoon, Australia. Isn't it like late already there? The Netherlands is with us today. Taiwan and the UK. Boy, is it early there. So I want to say good morning and let's get this show on the road. For those of you who listened to me for really quite a while, um, I had a nice little stint in South African radio for a little while. We had a segment called From My Jerusalem Window. I think that's what we called it. And... um, A listener reminded me how much they enjoyed kind of the humor and the light and the 15 minute kind of snap view from the window and what I saw and what I, you know, what I was thinking about. So I thought about that this morning because from my Jerusalem window, all we are hearing and seeing, despite the sunshine, despite the parrots kind of flying, they're they're kind of parrots or parakeets, There is construction, 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 construction. And it's making me sort of, it's a bittersweet laughter because, please God, on Sunday we're going to celebrate Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day, celebrating the liberation of our holy city um, from its takeover in 1948, 1968. We were once again, 67, liberated. And our beautiful, quiet city that was liberated is now under construction. So those who are predicting our demise, those who are planning from 1967 on to push us into the sea, well, I guess you're going to have to wait until after the three hotels are up and the new amphitheaters and um, shopping districts, hair salons, pizza places... And of course, required nail art studios. All right, my name is Andrea Simintov, and we come back. I'm going to talk about so many things with you. Have I'll see you on the other side. we're back, Andrea Simintov. pull up a chair on Israelnewstalkradio.com. So happy you're with me, really. And uh, let's greet in, apparently the Bahamas joined us this morning, and also Malta. That's really kind of exciting. These are all things that are on my bucket list, all right? Although I did say, the husband and I were discussing yesterday, we've got to find our way to Nigeria. Some very interesting, exciting Uh, Jewish things are happening in Nigeria that I would like to see, witness in this lifetime. So I wanted to share with you, (laughs) because I can, Um, something happened this week. I became so violently ill on Sunday night, Sunday evening. I had gone out. I visited children. It was one of those bubby grandma nights, cost me way too much money. Everybody was so happy. I ate things I wasn't supposed to eat. But nothing, you know, particularly Otra, nothing new. And sometime during the night, I woke up. And all I can tell you is that on Sunday night, I lay down on the living room sofa. And I rose from the living room sofa on Wednesday morning. It was such a crazy overnight. What we say in Hebrew, we say pitom. It was a sudden, like I got hit by a rubber mallet from heaven, and um, it was very scary. So what did we learn? Um, Couldn't even read. You know, there's only so many games of solitaire and crossword puzzles you could do. And so I thought to myself, you know, I became so frightened, and it reminded me of a lot of things that, well, people share with me, and I shared sort of recurring themes that you know, well, you know. Forgive me if it's boring, but I think about it all the time. How we get up every morning, we open our eyes, and the first thing out of our Jewish mouths is ani You know, thank you, thank you, God, thank you, God, for restoring my, 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 my life, the breath to my body. And I keep thinking about this beauty in Judaism that we are given each day a new canvas, a fresh canvas to paint on. It's a theme I return to. So you can go and do your nails and make a pot of coffee if you've heard it and you find it tedious. I love it because it really grounds me. Each morning, we're given a new canvas. And God gives us that canvas and says, paint, Bubba, paint, paint, sweetheart, paint. I saw yesterday's canvas, not so beautiful, not so museum worthy. Today, you get to paint again. And anybody who has painted or knows anything about fine art knows that you can't just straight paint on a canvas. You have to prep it. You have to prime the canvas. How do we prime it? We prime it with good thoughts. We prime it with prayer. We prime it with holy intention. And then we start to pray. And um, I was thinking about this. And as I was lying there, and really those of you who have suffered from terrible, terrible flus, those of you who have suffered from the COVID disease and have expressed how terrible it was, how you really thought you'll never stand again. I was thinking to myself about the famous mashal, the famous um, parable that is brought down by Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, who once noticed an elderly shoemaker? I've spoken of this before, but again, just like these stories, these bubba mices, these things that our parents tell us—you know, if you walk around with a, careful with that umbrella, you'll poke someone's eye out. You know, we keep this stuff stored in emotional and mental Tupperwares until we need them. So I've told this story before, but never was it so true and so prevalent and so um, poignant as it was this week, as I was laying thinking that God was going to take my soul. So what's the parable? Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, he once noticed an elderly Jewish shoemaker um, working late into the light to the night by the light of a small flickering flame. It really was the stub of a candle. And Rabbi Yisrael, he approached him and he was going to criticize him saying, go to sleep, night is for sleeping, day is for working. And he began to engage him in conversation. And finally, you know, after a few kindnesses, Rabbi Salanta registered his criticism. And the old Jew, he understood that it looked to the rabbi as though work had overtaken his life. But he answered back and he said to him, As long as the candle is burning, there is still time to work and repair. When Reb Yisrael heard these words, they went into his heart like an arrow. Here he came to offer a rebuke, and he struck with this powerful, this powerful life lesson in disguise. And he was heard for weeks afterwards, pacing in his room, crying and repeating the words, as long as the candle burns, there's still time to work and repair. You know, I i was just thinking to myself, as I'm lying there, I was thinking about food, nutrition, relationships, exercise, all the things that I was putting off for Tomorrow. You know, why is it that we wait and we say tomorrow, tomorrow, there will be time to get it together? Well, why not now? What is this overriding difficulty we have with now? It's just that humanness of us. I have often said, you know, the difference between chamor and chomer, a chamor in Hebrew is a donkey. What is a donkey? A donkey is a very hard-working, wonderful, useful animal. A a, a chamor works. A chamor sleeps. A chamor eats. A chamor reproduces. A chamor stops working when it's tired. Um, But it can never be more. It can't be a brilliant chamor or a less brilliant chamor. Whereas we have chomer, same root, but chomer is raw material. It is the word we use for clay. It is who we are. What do we do with the chomer of our existence? And as I'm lying there in my delirium, I actually had fever, which is a very rare occurrence. There were few, a few of us in the world who never get fever, and I am one of those. And I kept thinking, as I'm thinking that I'm saying, does the manufacturer of junk food care about my children or they, my grandchildren's health, their futures, their ability to concentrate in school? Now, I know that you're going to date me because I don't know the newest places, MTV, TikTok, Instagram. What is the other one? Um, what's the other one? Tweety, the Tweety one. Um do they have a board that concerns itself with our brothers and sisters making healthy partner choices? Everyone out there has an agenda. Oh, the Twitter, that was it. Thank you. Thank you producer, engineer. You know, what is it about the agenda agendas of others that has so suffocated our ability to reason and make choices that God would 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 not have approved of or approved of? God encourages us to think independently. And as I'm lying there on my sickbed, to which I was thinking was my deathbed, I thought, when did logic take a place upon the shelf, along with only other holy resources? We access logic when it's convenient, only when we're in trouble. Trouble. Trouble is the name of the oxygen that society wants us to breathe. And in my delirium, I pledged, and again, I pledged out loud again, to think godly, eat godly, love godly, accept rebuke godly, dream godly, and ultimately be less and do more. This is something that I truly believe, I really believe, we can master and we can do together. And, you know, also, I was thinking this week, we only have like three minutes, two minutes left in this section. You know, we're going to talk later about the Parsha, the portion Torah of Bamidbar, the desert, you know, it brings to mind, Rabbi Twersky brings to mind this pictorial perspective of this barren, desolate wilderness, and it's often linked to the midah, the quality of humility. So in his book, Living Each Day, we're encouraged not to confuse humility with feelings of inadequacy and inferiority. Obviously, I had a lot of time to think as I was lying prone on a sofa. You know, humility might perhaps might perhaps be best defined by contrasting it with vanity. What is vanity? Vanity is that feeling of self-praise, recognition, reward. Humility, on the other hand, is a feeling that, you know, considering our potential, we haven't even come close to what we have to do. And we have to do more. Vanity can lead to resting on our Laurels, you know that kind of chest, you know that chest beating, and therefore doing nothing. Humility, stimulating, as one demands a greater performance of oneself. Man, I had time to think this week. I really did, and I also thought about my lovely note that I received from my friend Austin, and he gave me what to consider. This show, this show is mine but you know what? It's ours. We are all human. We're in it together and we're porous. And like the Torah is made of parchment and wood, together we absorb the sweat, the tears, the heartache of those who embrace the relationship. So... Very much. All right. And we're not going to talk too much today about Yom Yerushalayim when we come back. I want you to Google it. I want you to look it up on reputable sites. And guess what? We have a lot to talk about on the other side. Hey, we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair. Israelnewstalkradio.com. Don't want to get wrote about it. And oh, let's say, In our, uh, you know, we kind of. I have a kind of a. Um, I guess there is kind of a pattern to this show where we start off with personal stuff and then we go into kind of. and then we go into the holy stuff but I find that I'm so much safer when I hang out in the holy land um, holy the the land of holiness meaning the well you also would be in the holy land so we, do we call that Freudian um, one thing okay so I said I wasn't going to talk much about Yom Yerushalayim on this station I saw I checked out the programming it's discussed it's parsed it's celebrated it's shared it's really really done very very well and uh, you have to know what you do well, and then you have to know what you don't do well. But one thing that just kind of struck me that I'm going to take into the rest of the day as I prepare for my Sabbath. So on the day, uh, I just, so those of you who know your modern Jewish history, um, on the 7th of June in 1967, which more importantly was the 28th of ER, Israel captured and capture we took back what's ours the 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 old city of jerusalem but then defense minister moshe dayan declared well he he said the following words and i want to know what you think whether or not they hold true today i know what my feeling is okay um yeah we were indeed liberated freed from imprisonment Liberated, a very important word in all our endeavors. Okay, here we go. So Moshe Dayan said this. This morning, the Israeli Defense Forces liberated Jerusalem. We have united Jerusalem, the divided capital of Israel. We have returned to the holiest of our holy places, never to part from it again. To our Arab neighbors, we extend also at this hour and with added emphasis at this hour, our hand in peace, and to our Christian and Muslim fellow citizens, we solemnly promise full religious freedom and rights. We did not come to Jerusalem for the sake of other people's holy places and not to interfere with the adherence of other faiths, but in order to safeguard its entirety and to live there together with others in unity curious as to what your thoughts are. Um, drop me a note, Andrea at israelnewstalkradio dot love hearing from you and again, thank you for sharing this important this important time, this important, this important life together. Okay, so as I was looking at the news in preparation for this show, and I'm not going to spend an ounce of this precious podcast time defending or explaining subjectively, of course, uh, Israel's action in protecting our citizenry. Save that for other shows because, you know, I go through the news and I think about, oh, my gosh, we are such public hand ringers. We've already talked about the slaying, the slaying of journalists, um, whether they were objective or subjective journalists. Israel's role, I was even looking today at the news from America, the horrible... uh, I don't have the adjectives to talk about the slaying in Texas. And, of course, in Israel, we have to drown, put out on our pages, the Jewish response, the Israeli response. And um, it's all so predictable. So we're going to spend time together and grow together on this show. We question together and do our best. And hopefully, the best we can do is put one foot in front of the other and we traverse this, this miracle called life. The one, the thing about Judaism, and I, I have to keep emphasizing this, is that there are no end zones except for the ones that God creates for us. And this includes the Texas massacre, the killing of journalists in the line of covering stories, the pros and cons of vaccinations, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, anything called Kardashian, a Met Gala. I have opinions But the cacophony of life-wasting distractions is exactly the difference, the difference between those who make a difference and those who march goose step into the oblivion of nothingness. We have choices to make. Together, friends, let's choose. My friend Afshin Imharani from Los Angeles just came up with this very lovely, very, I think, I don't want to use the word ecumenical, but very human, all-embracing prayer. And I want to know what you think about it. He says, you're going through problem after problem. You keep asking God, praying, nothing happens. You're facing depression, sickness, financial issues, marital problems. Why isn't God answering Be patient. Have faith. Do not despair. God's planning, God's timing is perfect. You're human. You don't have to be strong all the time. You are allowed to be overwhelmed, sad, cry, fall down, and get back up again. The most important thing, I add, the only important thing is not to lose your connection with God. Keep on praying, even as you're broken. Bring in the healing, the love, the peace, and ultimately, the prosperity for all. Amen, the amen. Okay, so this... Piqued my interest. Want to know what you think about it. Let me just look ahead and see how we're doing here. I found this. Hold on. Fascinating. Okay. Came across this. It was actually a Times of Israel report. An ex-Hasidic woman. And, you know, you hear all these stories about ex-Hasidim ex this, ex that. And very often there's a lot of anger associated with the ex-ness. I used to be part of, ho ho, listen to me. But this was very fascinating. Her name is Frida Wiesel. If she wasn't ex-Hasidic, I would have told you her name with a name like that. But Frida Wiesel is an ex-Hasidic woman. Nowhere in the article does it say whether or not she is still Torah observant, although I suspect she might be because she lives in Flatbush, which... If you're running away from Tory, you don't run to Flatbush. But anyway, she grew up in the very insular neighborhood of Williamsburg. And um, I know I haven't watched on television. I know that there's a lot of television programs dealing with Orthodox Judaism. It's a deliberate um Deliberate move on my part not to watch these shows. I'm so easily I'm so easily distracted and swayed and it's enough just making the coffee in the morning. But anyway, apparently there's an enormous following, an enormous interest in Haredi and Hasidic. Judaism. So, Frida knows her way around this neighborhood of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and she has created for the last nine years a tour, a very loving, a very open minded, a very with it tour. She's the only licensed New York City tour guide doing so. She was born and raised in the Satma Hasidic community of Kiryas Joel, Kiryas Yoel, in upstate New York. And she's the fifth of 15 children. And 11 years ago, after getting married and having a child, a son, she actually decided to leave her community. And she says that she's not angry, but she finds it to be very unique and loves taking people around. Well, It is popular. They're small groups. And at first she was looked at, you know, a little bit with um, wariness. But most of the people who go on her tours are actually not Jewish. And they're interviewed. A lot of non-Jews from the the Midwest are just fascinated. She takes them to see um, the Hasidic neighborhoods. She takes them to buy babkas and food. And the people are, um, the people in the neighborhood kind of view them. I guess we've sort of, we always looked at the Amish in this kind of a manner. And so suddenly the Hasidim have become the Amish. And here's a person quoted that they watched the show. What is the name of the show they watched? Unorthodox, I think it was called. A Netflix series. They watched it three times. Times. Anyway, she doesn't dramatize it. She takes them out to lunch in Katz's deli. And it's very, very interesting. Okay, before we go, we're gonna we only have a little bit of time before we actually go to our um our Torah section. So if anybody's interested, I came across the most fantastic for those who have visited Israel, come to Israel a hundred times, and have seen everything. I received a marvelous list of Family-friendly things to do as you visit Israel during the summer. I cannot talk about it. Maybe I'll have some of the um, the proprietors speak on this show. Things I never heard about. Things to do in Israel for those who have done everything off the beaten path. So write to me, Andrea at dot I would love to share this fabulous list with you. And of course, on the oh, I'm. This is so depressing. Um, list. Did anybody hear about this that a group of robbers in Miami, Florida robbed a home while the family was at synagogue they were at shul and the robbers that's not news itself but how did they get in? They were dressed as Hasidic Jews and nobody in the neighborhood thought anything as these Hasidim went into a home in Miami, Florida and robbed them And I think to myself, what have we come to? Very, very depressing. You know what we're going to do? When we come back, we're going to soar together, talk some Torah, shout, sing, celebrate together, and bring in the Sabbath. See you on the other side. Okay, we're back. We're back. Andrea Sementov, pull up a chair, pull up a futon, pull up a sofa bed. Reminds me, I'm actually, please God, doing shiputsim, a little construction work on my patio. I decided, as I said, from my Jerusalem window, which was the name of the South African segment, I have to enlarge my Jerusalem window because I cannot get enough. So we're going to try to build out the patio a little bit because we spend most of our time out there looking at the miracle that we call home. Okay. Um... Yeah, no, we talked about robbers. That was not so much fun. You know, just because I want to get this out, just because I want to. um, So this is our section. I always call this, I always like pop in this little from the Torah to your table. So I'm actually going to call this one from the Haftorah. This little section that we read after the Torah reading. It's called the Haftorah. And in the Haftorah section of this week's Parsha, um, the Parsha is Bamidbar in the desert. It says, quote, I Hashem will betroth thee, talking about Bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel, unto me forever. And I will betroth thee unto me with tzedek, righteousness, and with mishpat, justice, laws, and with chesed, loving kindness, and with rachamim, mercy. Rabbi Hirsch says, this is the lofty goal. Embracing the happiness of the whole of mankind, of the mission of Israel, everlasting and indisputable. So, what is our assignment, boys and girls, to discuss how tzedek, the the recognition of the ideals of right, correctness, mishpat the laws by which the ideals are brought into practical realization, chesed and rachamim, kindness and mercy, the ability to act unselfishly toward others, how these attributes help us to become masters over our material and selfish lives. Why are these goals truly a mission, a mission possible? And what is the significance of reciting these verses while wrapping, wrapping, while wrapping the tefillin straps around the fingers every weekday? Wow, this was a chunky assignment. Hope you're listening, Todd in California. I expect your response, and it will be, you will be graded. Okay. Obviously, I had a lot to think about this week as I was lying prone on the couch. But really, I kept thinking to myself, "God, not one more year, not one more month." one more hour, one more minute to make it all right, to get it together. So, so grateful. Just takes a little, you know, a little, uh, a little physical uncertainty to indeed make us cherish, cherish that every breath. Okay. So this section of the Torah is entitled Bamidbar, in the desert. So, you know, I don't know about you, but it's very hard for me to imagine, although maybe in our current situation than it used to be, you know, before uh, <laughs> before the Parsha of COVID, how the Jewish people lived in the desert for 40 years. You know, they had nothing to do. There was no gainful occupations. There was no struggle to feed themselves because the miraculous manna, the manna, fell from heaven, and the well, the bear of Miriam and Moshe, provided them with water. Water is indeed sustenance. So what did they do all day? They weren't playing, uh, you know, words with friends. The apparent answer is that they absorbed themselves in understanding, studying, assessing the laws and values in the Torah. In any event, they understood both Literally and innately, that they had to raise a new generation of people—a generation that would pursue pursue the goal of entering Eretz Yisrael and settling it and creating a more um, normal, can we say, Jewish society. So the Chazal, our rabbis, have kind of generalized the generation of the desert as being one of great intelligence knowledge, and understanding. Well, you know, that's kind of curious because it was also a generation that seemingly had no purpose because they were doomed to die in the desert, that they would never accomplish the goal that was entrusted to it when it left Egypt. It was told when they left Egypt, that they would accept the Torah and then march into the land of Egypt. So Moshe was very successful in having them accept the Torah. Well, you know, it did take a little bit of, you know, calf dancing. But he was ultimately very unsuccessful in attempting to have them move to the land of Israel. In fact, as we know all too well, a a large portion of the people would say that they not only wouldn't go forward into the land of Israel, they were more than willing to retreat and go backwards into the familiarity, the land of Egypt, which was, in retrospect, a land of affliction and plagues. So it's really hard for us to imagine such a generation with its sole task only to mark time, step, step, a metronome, until it passed away and made room for the next generation, which would perforce enter the land of Israel and build there a society. You know, it makes me think, I'm, I'm actually getting off text. It reminds me of, of, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, um, we just finished with Lagba Omer and how he exited from the cave of his refuge and he saw an elderly Jew, an old man planting a carob tree, a carob tree that could not possibly bear fruit for another 70 years. 70 years, which in the best hopes of the elderly man, he would never hope to see. And when Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, why are you planting a tree that you will never enjoy? The old man looked at him with curiosity and said, well, for those who come after me. The desert, um, there were positive aspects to this desert. The Talmud teaches us that the Torah was given to a generation that could live in the desert. If one can relieve oneself of desires and the pressures that come from outside and live as though we're in a desert, oh, then a Torah can find a real home and purpose in the life of that purpose. The generation of the desert represents to us two-faced, a kind of double-edged society. On one hand, it's a negative because of its refusal to progress towards that ultimate goal, the land of Israel. We're never going to see it. We're never going to get there. We're even dreaming of the flesh pots of Egypt. And on the other hand, a society of blessedness, free from the daily wants and pressures with the ability to intellectualize Torah into its very being. I don't have to repeat the base distractions that we face today with their agendas and trying to pull us from our holy selves. In Jewish tradition, the generation of the desert is always represented, not so much as a transitional generation, but a wasted generation. One who has opportunity and ability does not employ, sorry, let me say, one who has opportunity and ability and doesn't employ that ability to fulfill what is presented, is seen in the eyes of the Torah as someone who is wasting their existence. The Torah has a prohibition against wasting anything and certainly time and opportunities, even laying on a sick bed. We have an obligation to be present, again, the human being in us. And because of this, we're always troubled when reading these portions of the Torah that will follow for indeed the next few weeks. And the section of the Torah, which bears the name of the desert as its title, We're kind of struck with this feeling of pity and sadness that a generation that had the possibility of being the greatest ended up being a wasted generation, dying in the desert, having no home and little or no opportunity, as it seemed to have with its great start, being freed from Egypt. So we say that every generation has to be on the watch. It should be a generation not of the desert We can learn to take advantage of situations that allow us to study and to employ intellectualism, realism, but we have to also beware that this generation of the desert that doesn't build for the future, doesn't build, plant a carob tree, doesn't take hold of the opportunities, will not be remembered as positive and great. We're faced with a lot of challenges, my friends, but we're also faced with incredible opportunities. And our generation certainly will not be remembered as a generation of the desert, but rather than as a generation of Jews who helped build the land of Israel and who have rebuilt the Jewish world wherever Jews exist. You know, one of the greatest lessons this week is that in difficult places, the Torah is not limited by any specific locality or geography. We learn from the Torah of the desert that if it had been given in the land of Israel, there would be a tendency to say that it only applies in Israel. Outside of the land of Israel, they would say it's not incumbent upon Jews to observe the Torah. The human mind attaches teachings to our environment. If it had been given in Egypt, we'd say it won't apply once we're gone. The lessons remain today, wherever we are and whomever we are. I wish you a Shabbat Shalom U'mivorach from Jerusalem.